They shouted, Captain, a light bearing off the starboard bow. Is it stationary or moving, the captain asked. The lookout replied that it was stationary, and this meant that the battleship was on a dangerous collision course. The captain immediately ordered his singleman to signal to the ship, we are on a collision course. I advise you to change course 20 degrees. Back came the response from the other ship, you change course 20 degrees. Agitated by the arrogance of the response, the captain asked his singleman to to shoot out another message. I am a captain, change your course 20 degrees. Back came the response, I am a seaman, second class, you change your course 20 degrees. The captain was furious at this time. He shouted to the singleman to to send this this message, I am a battleship, change your course 20 degrees, that's an order. Back came the flashing response, I am a lighthouse, your call. (laughs) Light is a powerful thing. It can communicate a lot. It can keep us from some tragic collisions, which is why it may serve us well to listen to the words of Jesus when he says, I am the light of the world. Good morning. Welcome to PCC. We're glad that you're here. That was not a technical difficulty. That was actually planned, right? Um, We are glad that you're here today. We are continuing in our I Am series, a series where we are looking at the statements Jesus made where he said, I am, and how that impacts our life. I'd like to thank Roberto for speaking last week and talking about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life and how we need to be filled with him. Uh, In everything that we do here, we are striving to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. We are doing that as we take Jesus' life as our pattern for life, and we strive to prioritize being together, to hear and respond to the Word of God, and to be a tangible presence of grace in our communities and in our world. Um, I want to invite you to grab your Bible and turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 13. You can find that in your Bible app. If you're reaching for a blue Bible somewhere close to you, Exodus 13 will be on or around page 48. Now, Exodus may sound like a strange place to begin when we're talking about Jesus and his words, I am the light of the world, but I'm very thankful to uh, many sources, including uh, Pastor McQueen, from whom uh, I gained a lot of this insight and this contextual of why Exodus is so important to our John 8 text here this morning. One of the many things that the Old Testament does is it, it foreshadows for us a lot in the life of Jesus. And at times, it's good for us to step back from the Gospels and from the life of Jesus to to gain a broader view of what the Scriptures are telling us so that when we come up close, we can see more clearly. And I hope that's the case uh, from our time here this morning. It's interesting when you see how God uses light to communicate to his people. One of the ways God uses light uh, to communicate to his people is to lead his people. Uh, Through the use of light, God is saying, follow me. And we see this in a very powerful way when God worked through Moses to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, He did this by the light of his presence. Uh, To give a little context to Exodus, uh, you're probably aware that there were 10 plagues that affected Egypt, right? Uh, They affected uh, everyone, and, and these plagues were in one way used to give credibility to Moses that he truly was a messenger from God, that he truly was sent by I am, right? By Yahweh. That's, that's who he came from. And God was calling out 
to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians, let my people go. And the tenth plague that occurred was the plague of the firstborn. And this plague killed uh, every firstborn in the land, including the livestock. And in the middle of the night, this plague strikes, sparing only the houses that had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And once the plague hits, Pharaoh has had enough. And he's like, okay, uh, we're done. And so he calls for Moses, he calls for Aaron, and he says, okay, go, leave, I set you free. And this is the context of what's happening in Exodus 13 when we read in verse 17 these words. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Skip down to verse 20. It says, after leaving Succoth, they encamped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now, there's a couple of things to consider as as we kind of read through this. First, I want you to imagine that you and your family are slaves in Egypt, And your family has been a slave in Egypt from generation to generation to generation, right? You've been there approximately 400 years, your family has been. And you've thought on multiple occasions during these first nine plagues, maybe this is the time that we are going to be freed. And all of a sudden, it's time to go. The word comes down, we have been set free. Grab your stuff and leave. Let's go. But go where, right? Where are you going to go? It's not like you've ever been anywhere. It's not like you got two weeks of vacation and a house down by the Nile, right? You've been a slave in Egypt. Where are you going to go? Second thing to think about is think about how hard it would have been to go anywhere in the middle of the night when it's dark. They didn't have a lot of lights around, right? They didn't have uh, the flashlights to guide them. They couldn't turn on the headlights on their brick hauling cart, right? I, I don't know what they had exactly, but it, it would have been dark. And so how do, you, how do you go? And so they're gathering up all their stuff, and they're figuring out where to go. And what, what happens? This pillar of fire in the sky. Oh, we might want to follow that, mightn't we, right? And so they begin following The light, and the light leads them out of slavery into freedom, and the light is the presence of God. It's this pillar of fire, and God continued to lead them through uh, this pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day, and one reason God did this, as uh, people hypothesize and, and look at the text, is to say that God was trying to teach and train his people to follow him. He wanted his people to follow him. Which brings us to another Old Testament passage. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Numbers. So it's Genesis, Exodus, where hopefully you are, Leviticus, and then Numbers, Numbers chapter 9. You can find that in your Bible, Bible app. It'll be on or around page 102 in those blue Bibles. And this text is important because God is saying to his people, follow me, follow my light. Because when you did, what happened? I led you out of slavery, but now... My people, I want to lead you into the promised land. But first, through a continual repetition by teaching and by training you, I want you to learn to trust me. I want you to learn to follow me where I lead you. 
And so that brings us to Numbers chapter 9, beginning in verse 15. It says this, On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law, was set up, the clouds covered it. Now, the tabernacle at this time was a temporary structure that was set up where they could worship God. Okay, so that's what the tabernacle is. And and what I'm about to read to you or what you're going to follow along on, just hang with me as we walk through this, okay? Ready? Here it goes. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. This is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Verse 22, whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out, but when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they they obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. There's a reason we don't spend a lot of time reading numbers, right? It's exhausting, but you get the point, right? When the presence of God moved, what did the people do? They moved, they, right? And when the presence of God stayed, what did the people do? God was teaching. He was training his people. Hey, follow me. God represented himself through this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And this pillar of fire is where we get the term Shekinah glory. Has anybody ever heard of that before? If you Raise your hand. Be proud. You There you go. Okay, more than maybe I anticipated. That's good, right? Um, Shekinah comes from the Hebrew word to dwell, all right? And so it means that this light appeared, and it represents the presence of God. So the people would say, we want to be in the presence of the Lord, of God. We want his Shekinah glory. And so when God moved, they moved. When God stayed, they stayed. And they came to understand that God's presence was a good thing, that you wanted to be in God's presence, you wanted to be in his light, you wanted to follow his light. His light led them into the promised land where they then set up a permanent tabernacle, a temple, if you will, to worship God. And when they set up this, this permanent temple, they instituted a festival to commemorate and to remember that God had led them through the light and this celebration was called the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, We've gone a long way and haven't gotten very far, all right? But all of that is important to understand when we get to John chapter 7 and 8, which is where we would invite you to turn in your Bibles at this point, to John chapter 7 and then to to chapter 8. It'll be on or around page 756 in those blue Bibles. And, And if you get to John chapter 7 and you start looking at it, you'll never guess which celebration is drawing near for the people of Israel at this time. Anyone want to take a guess? Smart crew here this morning, right? It's the Feast of the Tabernacles. That's right. So this is the context in which we experience what Jesus says in John chapter 8. The Jewish people 
In order to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles, they would set up these temporary structures to remind themselves, to remind all of the people. Their ancestors would set up these temporary structures in the wilderness as they followed the light day after day after day. They would also light up the temple all night long, and they would leave it illuminated so that they would be reminded of God's light, his Shekinah glory, the dwelling place, the presence of God. The people wanted God to show up like that again, to light up uh, the the world, to, to give them their presence so that he would once again lead them out of oppression and into freedom, to drive out the Romans and to restore Israel to its nation of prominence, its nation of power. And it's in this entire context that Jesus declares in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this environment where people are celebrating how God led them from one place to another by his light, Jesus says, I want you to understand the light that you wish that would come back, the light that is God's presence, his Shekinah glory, that's me. I am that light. I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness as you are doing now, but you will be in God's presence. You will be in his light. That's what Jesus is telling the people, and that's why we went back, right, to understand how significant what Jesus said truly is and truly was. You see, darkness in the scriptures indicates separation, separation from God, separation from each other, separation because of our sin and disobedience and rebellion. Darkness was not a place you wanted to be. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and if you see me, that's one thing, but, but if you follow me, then you will not be in darkness. So how do we today, how do we follow the light of the world? Well, I want to share four ways that that I think we can follow this light, four ways that applied to the people during the Feast of the Tabernacles, and I believe they really still apply to us today. The first one is this. The first way we follow the light is we believe in Jesus. We have to believe in Jesus. It's one thing to know Jesus or to know about him. It's something else to believe in him. If you go back to John chapter 3, we have this conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. He followed the law. He found his value, his worth, his place by following and obeying the law. And in John chapter 3, we see that he comes to Jesus. And if you read there on the screen, it says he came to Jesus when? At night. He came to Jesus in darkness. And he asked Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus shines a light into his life, and he answers the question in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, not whoever follows the law, Nicodemus, not who obeys it and and does everything and teaches others that they better toe the line. No, it's who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Nicodemus shows up in the darkness to meet with the light of the world. 
Now ponder that for just a second and how, how ironic that is. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus to try to inherit eternal life by teaching and obeying the law. But Jesus shines a light into his life and says, it's about belief and it's about faith in me. It's not about the law. It's whoever believes in me shall not perish. And what's, what's kind of crazy about us is that oftentimes we are a lot like Nicodemus. We try to earn our inheritance we try to, to make sure we keep all the laws and say all the right prayers and observe all the right holidays and to take all the right classes and to make sure we're religious. During the season of Lent, we either give up something or we take on something as, as if doing that is going to cause God to look on us with more favor and we'll finally be in right standing with God. That doesn't mean we don't strive to do those things, but we, we don't do them in order to gain our inheritance. Jesus already says it's, through faith in him and belief. When Jesus shines his light into our life, when he shines his truth on us, we can either retreat back into the darkness and continue to live our lives and be bound by fear and not wanting things to, to be exposed and our sins to be known, or, or we can allow his light to reveal who we truly are. And we can stop trying to earn our eternal life and our salvation on our own and instead, we can walk in the freedom that he gives us by believing in him. If we want to follow the light, we need to believe in Jesus. The second thing, if we want to follow the light, we've got to leave the darkness. Darkness and light cannot coexist. In fact, it's believed that there really is no such thing as darkness. Uh, it is said that darkness is only the absence of light. And so if we're going to walk in the light, we have to be willing to leave the darkness this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus continues. In John chapter 3, verse 19, it says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. The reality is oftentimes we love darkness. Why? Because in the darkness we think we can hide. We think we can keep our flaws hidden. We can keep them secret, keep them safe. But because Jesus did not come to condemn you to or in your darkness, instead he came to save you, to bring you out into the light, we have been invited to leave the darkness. Now, I don't know how many of you as parents want me to say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. As a teenager, I did not have a curfew. I don't know if you guys have curfews. We can talk about that later. But I did not have a curfew, all right? Instead, my parents would often ask, in fact, they would always ask, what time will you be home, right? Because they just wanted to know. But that didn't stop the statements said that I heard lots, not just in that context, but lots of contexts of this. And maybe you've heard this before. Nothing good ever happens after midnight, so in my brain, what time was I supposed to be home? Right, but it was my, cho my choice, right, on what time I got to come home. The idea is this, nothing good happens after midnight, and would you say that's true or not? I'm going to tell you it's probably true, because here's the thing. I don't know anyone who begins a story with, hey, I got a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning just to let me know that everything was fine, Right? Nothing good happens after midnight. It's in darkness that bad things always seem to happen. It's in darkness 
that we often feel like we can get away with more and we can do things that we wouldn't otherwise do in the light. But in the light of the next day, we see the mess that was created in the dark because light exposes truth. And if we want to follow the light of the world, we have to be willing to leave the darkness. Third way we follow the light is we walk in the light. Paul says this about us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Philippians 2.15 talks about how we are called to walk as children of the light without fault, being blameless, so that our light can shine into the world. Ephesians 5.8-14 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything is exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God is calling us through his son Jesus to walk in his light, to follow him, and to his, allow his light to direct us, to be sensitive to his light, to wake up from our darkness, to walk in his light. Number four, to follow the light, we need to connect in love and in grace. Uh, something we talk about often, we've already talked about it here this morning, is that we were not created to walk through this life alone. We were also not created to walk in his light alone either. We need to be willing to walk together. First John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, will we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to walk in community with one another. One of the things that we state, try to state every week, one of our goals, one of our mission statements is that we strive to prioritize being together. And sometimes we do this well and sometimes we do this very poorly because Here's the thing about connecting with other people. When we are connected, when we are truly connected, our light, which is from God through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, it shines in and through us into the lives of others. And as that light is shining, it causes us to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness and love in a rich and powerful and meaningful way. If we confess our sins to God and we confess our sins to one another, then we can walk in the light, not in the darkness. If we confess our sins to each other, we can receive grace from each other, not just from God, but from each other. But if we don't confess, we don't have the opportunity to receive that grace. And often we don't confess, do we? I mean, if we're just being really honest and confessing that we don't confess, however that works, right? We don't confess our sins one to one another, right? Why is that? Guilt, shame, fear, 
right? I mean, we don't want other people to know the true us. There's several reasons we give as to why we, we wouldn't confess our sins one to, to each other, right? But if we're going to follow the light, we need to be willing to connect with each other in love and grace. And, and the only way you can really extend grace is if someone makes their need for grace known. It's messy. I, I don't have it all figured out. But I think if we're going to follow the light, then we have to connect in love and in grace. And as we walk with him in our daily life, on a daily basis, we discover and experience his life-changing love. We experience community. We hear and respond to his word. We are able to extend grace one to the other. And it's a beautiful picture of what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be. We need to connect with one another because love drives out fear. Community encourages healing and grace because we are all sinners. You, you and me, all of us, and we are all in need of a savior. And it begins when we are willing to step out of the darkness and into the light. And so the question that I ask of you this morning is, where are you? Are you in the darkness or are you in the light? Are you hiding in the shadows are you asleep? Are you in the light? Are you following the light of the world? Are you following Jesus? Because Jesus invites you to follow him, to accept him as your Lord and Savior, to, to run into his marvelous light, to recommit your life to walking in the Lord, to be obedient in baptism, to take that next step in your faith of following him, of walking with him, and, and allowing his light to shine into your life. We have the opportunity to invite you to respond to the Lord and to let you know that you don't have to do it on your own, there are people who want to walk with you. And we don't always do that well or perfectly, but we're striving to do that together as a community of believers and as hurt and broken people who are trying to share love and grace with each other. And that's what we are invited to do. That's who we are invited to be. In just a moment, there's going to be members of the prayer team who would love to pray with you and encourage you and to welcome you. To join this body of believers where we're striving to do those things. They'll be more than happy to meet you over at the cross in just a couple of moments. As you consider how the Lord is inviting you to respond to him this morning, let's pray together as we worship and as we, uh, as we go to him. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son. Jesus, we thank you that, that you are a light. You are the light that lights our way. God, we thank you that that your word is a light into our path. God, thank you that in you uh, and in your light, we can experience grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. God, we thank you that you have called us to shine. We, we thank you that, that we've been called to reflect your light into this world. God, I pray that our lives will be changed, that our hearts would be changed that you would cause us to, to desire to put our faith in you and in you alone. Give us the courage to step out of the darkness and into the light. Help us to walk with you, to walk with each other, to love you and to love each other well. Thank you, Father. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As the band plays and leads us in this worship song and time of response, we invite you to respond, uh, to make your way over to the cross. If you want to talk to someone, if you want someone to pray with you, maybe you want to do that with the people around you, and you just want to simply ask them to pray with you or for you.
you can do that. There's no wrong thing to do as we respond to the Lord. Allow him to guide you, to lead you, to direct you into his light. Stand with me. Let's uh, sing. Let's respond to the Lord together this morning.